0: Hello and welcome to Peach Pod, a Georgia politics podcast. I am your host, Kyle Hayes, and I am joined, as always, although for the first time in a little bit, joined by Luke Boggs. Luke, how are you doing?
1: Oh, doing good. Glad to be back. Is, I think, our first time in 2021-3, maybe? I don't know. can't remember. Time flies.
0: Yes. First time this year. First time since we became the state that is the home to the back-to-back national champion Georgia Bulldogs. That uh, That deserves a plug here at the top. Um, what did you think of us getting to the mountaintop for the second time in a row?
1: Uh, it's exactly what I thought would have happened. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't know how much we talked about, it, uh, recorded here, but I, I've always had faith in Stetson Bennett. Uh, and I, I just, you know, I, I thought we were, we were a much better team than we were giving credit for. And i am not saying that just because I am a, you know, diehard George Bulldog fan. It's just, we had a really great team. I think we played Gabe's really well. And, uh, I, I'm just I'm just really not that shocked to be honest, especially after Alabama season imploded so bad. they're the only ones I really ever worry about being able to yeah, it's us.
0: just fun like there's just nothing nothing to be all that stressed about. uh you know, I saw some some Georgia fans that had some stress about folks who've decided to leave in the transfer portal or or to go pro early. And I just I have no no worries anymore. I'm not worried about who the quarterback's going to be next season. I don't have any stress about it. Like full faith in Kirby and the coaching staff's leadership, and I'm just going to enjoy this for as long as it lasts, which if you saw how they played to end this season, uh, with the exception of maybe the third quarter of the Ohio State game, I think this is going to last for a while.
1: Yeah, I, I suspect we'll be doing well for a while.
0: Yes, yes. Uh, Well, to turn to politics here, we are looking forward to how things are going to go in Georgia politics in 2023. And so we're going to talk about one of the the biggest trends that I think is emerging in terms of how Governor Kemp is going to define his legacy now that he makes the turn to a second term of his uh, governorship. Um, We're going to talk about it some more, but he's sort of making the traditional turn that we've seen, particularly Governor Deal make, in terms of taking on sort of legacy defining issues where, you know, maybe they're not the most polarizing, maybe he can get bipartisan support for them, um, but they're the ones where he can really make an imprint from his governorship on this state. So we'll talk about how he approaches that. And then the 2023 legislative session, it has already started, but it doesn't quite feel like it's gotten off the ground yet. uh, Because the first day of legislative session was the same day as the national championship game. And so they had a really brief session in the morning. And then a lot of folks from Atlanta flew out to L.A. to watch the dogs dominate TCU. And then last week they were in, we're recording on Sunday evening, the 22nd. Last week they were in budget hearings. Um, And so those are days where session days do not tick off the calendar. Um, And you have uh, lawmakers hear budget presentations from the agencies about what the priorities in the governor's budget are, and that is the beginning of the one constitutionally required activity lawmakers have to do every year, that is to pass the budget. So we're going to talk about how we think think session is going to go now that it's really going to get fired up here soon. Um, But Luke, let's talk about Governor Kemp as he enters his second term, and we're going to hear sort of more fully what his 2023 agenda is in the state of the state next week. But the one thing that he sort of laid a marker on in his inaugural address for his second term was making Georgia the electric mobility capital of the country um, and previewing the fact that he wants to make additional investments in uh, preparing Georgia's workforce for bringing in electric vehicle manufacturing, battery manufacturing, solar panel manufacturing, and basically building a green energy industry in this state to prepare Georgia's workforce for it, to get uh, improved housing options in Georgia for all the new workers that will be brought in by these industries, And then interestingly, you know, he had that message in his inaugural and then he took that message on the road and it wasn't to some other state uh, in the region or or some other place in the country. He went to Davos in Switzerland to the World Economic Forum to take what he says is his message of Georgia's success story under conservative governance and sort of economic certainty coming out of the pandemic. I'll start actually with Davos with you, Luke. What do you think of? Governor Kemp, who has sort of railed against out-of-state interests and, uh, you know, people not from Georgia making decisions about and having opinions about what goes on in Georgia. What do you think of him kind of turning it on his head and and heading over to Davos and telling uh, some of the world's fanciest CEOs how things are going here in the Peach State?
1: Uh, You know, great, great political messaging, Kyle. I love it. Uh, But to me, I I feel like it's, it's pretty consistent. Uh, with Kemp's messaging only because the fact that he's doing this as part of economic development. I mean, I I see a lot of continuity here between how Kemp talked about this stuff and how, you know, Governor Deal talked about this stuff. Cause it, it, it would be one thing if, you know, Brian Kemp was like going to Davos to be like, let me tell you about my Georgia vision and all this stuff. But it's like, the reason he's going there is he's wanting these businesses to build factories in Georgia and bring a bunch of jobs to Georgia and, You know, do be the economic development governor is is the the thing I get from this because, you know, because one thing I have come back to time and time again with Governor Kemp is that to me his governing philosophy is to do as little as possible is what it feels like a lot of times. But on the one area where that is not true has been getting businesses to locate in Georgia. Governor Kemp has been consistently very interested in that and, you know, doing a lot to do that and, you know, in some people's opinion and sometimes mine, uh, give businesses too many incentives to come here. Um, So it doesn't feel that weird to me because it's not like he is, you know, giving up the governance of Georgia to Davos, at least not yet. Um, So we'll we'll see uh, what comes of this. But to me, this just seems like Kemp doing what Kemp is always doing, which is beg businesses to come to Georgia.
0: Yeah. And this was a huge opportunity. And he, you know, in interviews with the AJC described it as kind of this one stop shop to pitch Georgia to a lot of different global economic interests all at once. So he met with the CEOs of Hyundai, which is building a giant new plan in Georgia <clears throat> Visa, Cisco, he met with government leaders from Europe and and Asian nations, particularly South Korea, which is uh, companies based out of South Korea have made a lot of significant investments in Georgia um, as a part of the electrification of of transportation and and green energy growth. Um, So this, you know, I I agree, it's, it's pretty consistent. And it, um, I think it signals, though, you know we've always kind of chuckled at this sort of repeated notion that georgia is the number one state to do business and it, you know it still stands that that is a a fairly limited descriptor of the quality of life and the quality of the state's economy particularly for its workers but it has been notable i think you know the georgia economic development department always puts out these numbers about their recruiting efforts, and, and how they've grown industries in the state. And in the first half of this fiscal year, they recently reported that 85% of the jobs created were created outside of the 10-county metro area, 92% of total investments that were brought to the state were made outside of the 10-county metro area. And we talked so much, Luke, and this was a priority of so many Republican leaders to bring economic development to more rural parts of the state, to communities outside of Metro Atlanta, and so I I think maybe it's you know at least worth considering the progress that we've made in an economic development uh, perspective for communities outside of Metro Atlanta and how much uh, Governor Kemp and um, you know the Department of Economic Development have had to do with that.
1: Yeah, it, it definitely does seem like they have been successful in getting more businesses to come to someplace other than Atlanta. Uh, Cause for a while there with the number one state to you know, do business thing, it really seemed like the number one city to do business in, which was Atlanta. Cause it did not seem as the, you know, the, the economic development was being spread around very much. And while it, it's still a much different situation outside of Atlanta And within Atlanta, it is getting better and more of these opportunities are coming to different parts of the state. But what has been interesting, too, it hasn't really developed into a political movement that has been able to stop this development. But there have been some elements of Georgia's political culture that usually align with Republicans pretty angry about all the big factories and all the big manufacturing that's coming to their little rural hamlets that they left Atlanta for. Uh, so I, that that's just a dynamic I'm going to be really curious to watch as this uh, continues. Uh, I, I'm firmly on the side that most of the time these projects are probably a good thing. And the fact that Georgia is getting ahead of a lot of other states and building what are going to be you know the cars and technology of the future I think is a really great thing. And I'm happy that you know if Governor Kemp is going to be bringing manufacturing to georgia he's bringing stuff that's forward looking rather than you know building a coal plant or you know doing you know you know a steel plant or something that just like economically doesn't make sense unless the government is subsidizing the crap out of it uh whereas this is a situation where kemp is incentivizing uh businesses and industries that are going to probably do incredibly well in the future and you know, just making it easy for them to come to Georgia, I think is actually a very good and exciting thing. And, you know, it's something that I think will help the state in the long term in in creating more opportunities for good paying jobs that, you know, your average Georgian would probably be interested in doing either as a, you know, going to school to learn how to Manufacture these batteries or design new ones. Uh, you know, I, I think most people who were, you know, would be interested in those kinds of manufacturing jobs that don't necessarily require a college degree would, you know, be interested in this manufacturing type work. So, all in all, I, I think there's just little to complain about with these initiatives, you know, as a whole. There's always, uh, concerns about the exact location or how much uh they're giving away and incentives, but the the overall push in the industries that he's picked, I'm I'm pretty in favor of.
0: What do you think it says about how to achieve at least some forms of progressive change in Georgia? Because Georgia is on the verge of building up and investing in a brand new, you know, brand newish green energy industry. And it's not the result of the passage of a Green New Deal in Washington. It's not the result of a election of a progressive Democratic governor in Georgia or a progressive Democratic legislature. You know, Republicans retain firm control of state government, and they are doing this largely through tax incentives, property tax incentives, sales tax incentives, um, led by a sort of business-first-minded economic development department. Um but, you know, these sorts of incentives bring a green en- energy industry in the same way that they brought basically Hollywood's East Coast location to Georgia. These are not exactly the favored industries of the, of leading, you know, conservatives in the South. Um, you know, what do you think that says about, at least in, in some ways, how progressive, maybe progressive economic advances might be possible in the South?
1: So... I think this is an incredibly difficult question to answer and the, the evidence of it is how hard of a time Democrats had running for office and um, getting a compelling message out there to uh, Georgia voters this time. And I, I think there's a lesson to be learned in Warnock's victory and the rest of the ticket's uh, loss that, and that lesson is know your audience and the Georgia audience right now likes Governor Kemp pretty, pretty well, you know, it was one of those things that I was routinely fascinated by. If you looked at the the polling, uh, especially near the end of the race, people had pretty high opinion of Governor Kemp personally, and same for Raphael Warnock. You know, people just like both of these candidates, and Governor Kemp isn't up for, you know, going to be able to run for governor again, unless he takes a term off, Then he could run again, theoretically, but no one's really done that, but you can do it. Um, but I digress. You know, maybe he'll run for Senate one day, maybe he run for president. But I think in the the short term, Democrats are in a tricky position if they're going to successfully push any of their goals. Um, I, I think this is one of those situations where you have to just read the political climate. And right now in Georgia, Governor Kemp is very popular. The Republican legislature hasn't gone so far to the right that people have lost faith in them in the way that they have in some other states. And Kemp is obviously focusing on a bunch of issues and initiatives that on paper, in broad strokes, Democrats would be really, really supportive of. I don't know many Democrats who would be against Georgia building electric cars and batteries and building multiple you know, pieces of the, you know, climate change fighting future <laughs> in the state of Georgia. I feel like all Democrats would be in favor of that. And I, I think this just creates an opportunity for Democrats that short term will look very counterintuitive, but I think in the long term would help the Democratic brand tremendously, which is Democrats should embrace these initiatives from Governor Kemp and fight really hard to make them better and to make them more progressive and to be a partner for Kemp because there's probably going to be some Republicans who won't like these ideas just because they're spending money or because they are allied with interests in the fossil fuel industries or whatever connections they have that just won't want to see the government taking such an active part in economic development. There are some li- more libertarian minded Republicans in Georgia who are like that. And so with the legislature not being super tight, but, you know, it, it's it's tight. That's enough Republicans break off of these things. Democrats could really, uh, you know, help secure these initiatives. And even if it makes Governor Kemp look better, if Democrats are seen as smart, competent, partners, people will notice that, voters will notice that, and and hopefully give them credit for it. And that'll be especially beneficial to Democrats, I think, if it's a situation where there's some more right-leaning members of the Republican conference who are holding up these initiatives from getting done, and Democrats are there to save the day and make a deal and to, one, advance their policy goals, but also make Georgia a better state to live in and provide more really well-paying jobs and build up some industries, I I, I think voters will notice that and recognize that and and hopefully reward some of the Democrats in that. Because I genuinely think that part of the reason that Stacey Abrams did as well as she did in 2018 was the fact that she was coming off of having worked with Governor Deal on uh, reshaping hope and the hope scholarship and uh, helping get the gas tax raised to improve Georgia's infrastructure. Um, you know, th- those initiatives would not have succeeded without Democrats. And Abrams was giving a lot of political capital, I thought, on her role in that. And so I think this similarly creates an opportunity for Democrats to be part of the solution and part of the success of these initiatives rather than just reflexively being against something because it's the Republican governor or Governor Kemp who's pushing them.
0: Yeah, I think it, to me, it lends itself towards thinking about how you package in the messaging, how you package these goals that I I think, you know, Georgia's electorate I think is sort of in favor of homegrown Georgia based solutions And solutions that are, you know, come from the business community in the state. I think that I think that broadly across the spectrum, people generally look on those sorts of things favorably. And that if you feel like you are, you know, making changes that will detract from your quality of life because progressives in Washington or progressives in California told you to do it, that. Georgians will be somewhat reflexively opposed to that. But if Georgians are leading the way into the green energy future by driving, I don't know what electric car Hyundai makes, but driving Hyundai's electric car that was manufactured in Georgia, that that is like something that's a lot lot more appealing to them. Um, And so I, I, I do think it lends to the way in which Democrats you know, package these things in a messaging sense in the future, as you know, this is the Georgia way to do things, but to do things that are, are more equitable or or will help more people see and experience economic growth in this state, as opposed to at the direction of uh, you know political progressives in in Washington. The other piece of this, Luke, that was that was kind of amusing, uh, the lieutenant governor of Florida took a swipe in an interview on Newsmax, took a swipe at Davos and uh, basically the push around electric vehicles. And, and she didn't name Brian Kemp directly, but she basically said, you under Governor DeSantis's leadership in Florida, uh, they're letting you uh, decide what you want to drive and where you want to drive it as um, sort of a, a veiled shot at, at Kemp. and And I think this is the first time we've seen even, even in a veiled sense, a shot from DeSantis towards Kemp. Do you think that that says anything about at least who DeSantis perceives as a possible threat? As as DeSantis is just like very obviously running for president in two years.
1: Maybe I. The the thing I, I think it's more indicative of is just Florida. Florida is a dumpster fire. It's always been a dumpster fire, and I think it's only worse with you know Governor DeSantis at the helm. Because his brand is just sort of punching out and making enemies and getting headlines, and so I I think it's just one of those. This was just an opportunity for them to try to dunk on somebody, and so I think they took it. (laughs) That's that's the way I feel about it. Um, I, I if I was Desantis, I would definitely see Kemp as a really viable and scary challenger to me because unlike. Ron DeSantis, Governor Kemp is a pretty personable, popular guy, and he seems to have a much better uh, hold on more establishment, moderate Republicans, and those, you know, the Biden or the Romney-Hillary Biden voters. Uh, so, it, it you know, it, it may make, it makes sense strategically, I'm sure. Uh, 2024 calculations are part of the reason that comment was made but also it's just like this is who they would be going after anyway and so it just so happens that brian kemp is the person who was at this summit and you know, was able to uh you know hack his opportunity to be in the spotlight of the desantis dunking machine
0: yeah if you're if you're republicans i think you you would do yourself a favor to take a good hard look at, at governor Kemp for 2024, because you have DeSantis kind of continuing to operate in this way where he, he does just try to find somebody to dunk on. You have Glenn Youngkin in Virginia, who's obviously also running for president, just canceled a uh, big investment from Ford in, in Southwest Virginia to manufacture batteries there and it. I don't know all the details of that, but it wouldn't be surprising if that investment pops up in Georgia. Um, the the reason that, that was given by Yunkin's team in Virginia was that this company through Ford had some Chinese government connection, and so it was canceled more so as a way to, similar to DeSantis, to similar his sort of like anti-China vibes as opposed to, you know, realistic thinking about economic development in another sort of rural economically challenged region in Southwest Virginia. Um, and so Kemp seems to be the one who is like most consistently putting economic growth and advancement over basically anything else. Um, and, you know, Republicans love that stuff. So uh, it might, might behoove them to, to pay serious attention to that. Let's move on here and talk about the beginning of the 2023 legislative session and Luke, actually, you you we can start with Democrats because you you started to talk about this a little bit. Um, you know, Governor Kemp's agenda. will get a more full look at it uh, during the State of the State next week. Um, the House Speaker John Burns has a pretty limited agenda, and as a reminder, he uh, is the brand new House Speaker following the passing of House Speaker David Ralston and uh, John Burns, I think did not, you know, like any of us, John Burns didn't anticipate he would have this job right now. So I think it's a little understandable that he's not yet in a position to drive, um, an agenda. And so we'll talk about what Republicans could do here in a second, but Luke, I coming into this session, everything that I was thinking about sort of like how session will be defined is, what Republicans are going to do, what the dynamic between Governor Kemp and two new leaders in the House and the Senate is going to be. And it just sort of left Democrats out. It sort of feels as though um, Democrats may be a non-factor in this legislative session. And so to start with them, what do you think, how do you think Democrats can find their way into becoming more of a factor, um, in more of an important factor as to how session will go?
1: Well, it's, you know, exactly what I was saying earlier is there's going to be some initiatives that Kemp might need their votes for, and either way they can be a productive partner in, because one thing that I have always enjoyed about working and following the Georgia Capitol is, um, you know, good ideas, regardless of who initially had them, can often find their ways into bills, and uh, there's, you know, plenty of stories, I'm sure... <laughs> Uh, people who've been at the Capitol a long time can tell you about, you know, a Democrat has a really great idea, but they don't drop that bill. You know, they they give it to somebody else, or uh, they just you know catch somebody in the hallway and say, hey, you know, it would be really great in your bill, <laughs> or propose an amendment in a committee. And there's all these ways that Democrats can be productive partners because, very, it's very rare that. Republicans out of spite will just say, like, we're, we're, we're not going to put that in the bill because it's an idea a Democrat had. I mean, that happens sometimes, but not not really all the time. And I I think it will become obvious because I feel like we could have this conversation at the beginning of session every session because of just the fact that Republicans have more votes than Democrats and they don't need any Democrats to pass any bills. They need them for constitutional amendments. But that's it. Uh, And I I think it's just it's pretty straightforward to me that there's going there's going to be something we're not expecting that'll pop up where Democrats are important because with the heartbeat bill Democrat uh, you know it took a cut I think two Democrats flipping for them to pass that bill and so I'm sure there will be other instances where Republicans will want to do something but for whatever reason they can't get the votes for it either because of moderate Republicans or more right-leaning Republicans, more or the libertarian Republicans, who, like I said, are a little uh, more suspicious of heavy-handed government intervention, like Kemp has been doing. Not to mention a lot of Kemp's other interest you know, initiatives are related to increased spending and paying teachers more and uh, putting more money into the Hope Scholarship, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so, there's going to be an opportunity for Democrats to be influential. I think they're going to be hard to predict. But you can be prepared for them and just keeping the caucus together and knowing what everyone's concerns are and just finding those opportunities for Democrats to to matter because with the margins as close as they are, there's going to be times where Democratic votes are needed and we don't know what they are yet, but it will happen.
0: How do you approach yeah, the, one of the big questions of this session is going to be what to do with a pretty large budget surplus. Governor Kemp has already put out there that he wants to do, I believe the number is $2 billion in total in tax refunds um, through uh, tax rebates and through a one-time break on property taxes, given that a lot, for a lot of homeowners, their property values have gone up in the, the housing rush right after the the pandemic, and so their property taxes, as a result, have gone up with those housing values, and so uh, they're going to get a one-time break from the state to somewhat offset their increased property taxes. Um, you know, Stacey Abrams, in her campaign, made clear that she had a he, she had a starkly different vision for state government under her leadership and that the surplus was a one-time opportunity for kind of generational change, I think is the way that she used to describe it, and that she likely would have pursued using the surplus to, uh, you know, improve, increase the amount of funding available for childcare programs and do a lot more to make housing more affordable. Um, she would have expanded Medicaid, although in a sense that's, you know, cheaper to do than, than the path that the Uh, the governor Kemp is currently taking. Um, but she had a starkly different vision for what to do with the surplus and it included pretty broad expansions of the role of state government in helping people meet their basic needs. And governor Kemp, the one message that he's had as he's been at Davos and as he's been interviewed before session is just because we have a big surplus doesn't mean we should grow the size of state government. Um, if you're Democrats and you still believe in a lot of those things that Stacey Abrams ran on, how do you continue to make the case that the government, the state government's failure to do more to help people meet their needs in child care and health care and housing, that that is very important and that it would be a failure to use the state surplus on one-time tax rebates that aren't going to make a big difference?
1: Well, I, I think the thing that you do is you use this discussion as an opportunity to talk about those things and to bring up these issues now so that when two years from now, Democrats are campaigning for the state house and state Senate and, you know, everyone who's running for Congress can also talk about these things. Those issues will still be here. And you can point to the fact that it was great. Everybody got these tax rebates and that, That obviously was helpful to people at the time, but these more lasting, persistent issues remain because one thing we definitely learned, you know, since 2020 is that the government giving people money is super popular. People really like getting checks from the government. And so, you know, Kemp is definitely pursuing a popular uh, policy. And I, I think Democrats can very easily fall into the trap where they look like they are just tilting at windmills that you know they're they're just not doing anything productive by fighting a very popular initiative that will help people like it will help people to get this money it's not going to hurt them to get it um and and you got you got to pick your moments and while i think making the point that there are other things this money could be used for I think it's really hard for that message to be effective for Democrats because Kemp is using some of the money to do the kinds of things Democrats are going to do. The fact that he is trying to return hope to a single tiered plan that pays for everything in the way that hope did prior to the deal I previously mentioned that Stacey Abrams helped put together. Like that's something Democrats would do with this money. And so it's just one of those things I think the Democrats just have to realize that Kemp is outmaneuvering them. And the thing to do about that is, is to be very, very smart in the punches you decide to throw. But all, you know, but also realizing, I think this is the more important thing is if you're facing a super popular politician who is term limited or, you know, popular in our polarized times, I'll put that asterisk there. Uh, Like maybe work with them, maybe see yourself as a productive, reasonable partner to those people. Because Governor Kemp cannot be governor forever. Like he's he he can't run for governor again without taking a term off, and I don't think he would come back (laughs) after that. He's probably just going to either run for something else or be done with politics. And 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 so, just like build a brand, build a brand as smart, productive partners. You don't have to agree with him on everything, but just like show yourself as a reasonable, well put together alternative because what I think is going to happen is there's going to be one of these initiatives or multiple of these initiatives where elements of the Republican Party are going to fight really hard against it. I will not be surprised if it comes from the lieutenant governor on on these things or other, you know, senators, because that's usually where uh, you know, the problems in the Republican Party come from is the Georgia State Senate is where you know, someone will will uh, throw, throw a wrench into the gears and, and use that as an opportunity to contrast yourself with the Republicans and, you know, to, to talk to voters and say, hey, you know, we both like Governor Kemp's agenda to bring all these electric vehicles to Georgia. We think it's a great idea. And these crazy Republicans won't get on board and won't help Brian Kemp. But here we are, Democrats, going above and beyond and being bipartisan and, you know, doing what's best for Georgia. And I, I just think that's so powerful. And it's one of those things that Democrats just have a hard time realizing can be super effective, and it's what Warnock did, and Warnock won. <laughs> he, you know, he is he's won the most votes. Like every election he's figured, and, and that's how you win them. So I, I think it's just Democrats need to pay attention to that and learn how to message like that on these issues where bipartisanship is possible and not just reflexively be criticizing Kemp all the time because he is of the other party um because there are just opportunities to build your credibility with voters by saying hey you know governor Kemp's wrong right about this and and to democrats credit, i have seen many democrats saying that about the hope thing the 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 hope issue uh which have you you haven't talked about that yet right no we haven't yeah talked about it you either. you want you want to like give everybody kind of a rundown of that
0: yeah. So so basically what's happening is, you know, in the deal that uh, Luke, you alluded to in 2011, the governor deal hashed out with Republicans and Democrats in the legislature. The HOPE scholarship was turned into basically this two-tier program where if you had the highest level of GPA, you could still get full tuition scholarships through the HOPE scholarship program to go to Georgia universities. If you were at sort of a second tier level with your GPA, I believe the the tuition coverage was like 90 percent. But that last 10 percent can make a meaningful difference, particularly for students with low incomes who, um, you know, on top of tuition are paying for their housing at universities. Um They're having to balance the the work that they're having to do on top of their schoolwork. And so in Governor Kemp's budget, he's proposed, I think it's like $60 million, to basically fill that last 10% and have the HOPE scholarship return to a one-tier full tuition scholarship program. Now, it's not a permanent change. They're not undoing the changes that were made in 2011. They're basically using a portion of the state surplus to make that 90% whole um, and turn that into a hundred percent, but it doesn't mean that a future governor could pull that line item out and return the scholarship to the way that it was under the, the 2011 deal. Um, You know, yeah, Stacey Evans was one of the people who gave a lot of praise to it. You know, her campaign for governor in 2018 was basically organized around hope scholarship. And she said that the, worst day of her political career was when they achieved that deal to reduce the value of hope in 2011. Um, and, I, and I've seen some some general praise from other Democrats, but that is that is one of those issues, Luke, like you're saying, that it, it feels like there is a lot of support from Democrats for that um, because it is something they've been arguing for for quite a long time. Um, let's talk a little bit about how the dynamic is going to be among Republicans in this legislative session. So it, at least initially, it appears that this is going to kind of be a quieter, more focus on less polarizing issues kind of session. Governor Kemp has laid out what he would like to see done with the surplus Um, tax breaks, tax rebates. Those are, as you said, Luke, those are pretty popular increased, uh, pay for teachers and other state employees, workforce funding for the electric vehicle industry, increasing hope scholarship spending. All those I think are, are ideas that will be pretty welcome across Republicans and Democrats. Um, it'll be interesting given the events of the last few days where people might've seen, there was a, a protest in downtown Atlanta last night that turned into, uh, a riot basically where uh, protesters lit a cop car on fire, smashed some windows of like a Wells Fargo and some other, uh, I think corporate businesses t- downtown tied to uh, protests against a police training center. That's going to be built in um, DeKalb County by the city of Atlanta and um, Public safety has also been a big piece of Governor Kemp's message, and that's one where Democrats and Republicans are pretty far apart, but we haven't gotten details about what Governor Kemp wants to do on that. Um, But otherwise, you know, housing may also be a big issue. Governor Kemp previewed his interest in addressing workforce housing tied to all this electric vehicle manufacturing expansion. And the new House Speaker, John Burns said he was open to a robust discussion regarding uninhabitable rental units. And this was following an AJC investigation of just truly horrific living conditions in some apartments in Metro Atlanta. And the AJC also had a front page editorial on the first day of legislative session, saying that the legislature needed to do something about uh, these you know, truly horrific living environments in some of these apartment complexes. Um, but the, you know, so those are some of the issues. And then the dynamic is that Kemp is actually sort of the unquestioned leader of Republicans right now. He's got a lot of runway now that he won definitively his second term, and he's going to have two brand new leaders in the House and the Senate in Speaker John Burns and Burt Jones, the lieutenant governor and leader of the Senate. How do you what is anything that you're looking for among Republicans in terms of how legislative session will go and, you know. Do you think it'll be smooth or is there some surprise out there waiting for us that uh, we just don't know about yet? So
1: I think there's two things. One, I'll just mention because I've already discussed it. what, Which one of Kemp's initiatives are the Republicans going to or, – or some Republicans are going to decide that they want to throw a hissy fit about and fight um, because I, I'm just sure there, there will be one just because of the fact of how much money uh, Kemp is spending. Um I'll put it as
0: maybe gambling. Yeah.
1: I mean, gambling, I honestly, every, every single session pod should just have like an asterisk gambling. Will it happen? You know? Cause it's just like, it, it, it's just always there. It's always lurking. Um, but you know, jokes about that aside, the other thing I'm really curious about is what will Kemp do? when inevitably there is a red meat far right policy bill thrown into the session hopper and then it starts getting attention and starts becoming something that's real because as much as the Republican leadership says the words the magic words we don't want to do anything else on abortion right now that does not magically stop any legislator from dropping a bill that outlaws abortion in Georgia and that does not magically stop it from going to a committee hearing and people talking about it and you know what what are they actually going to have the, the spying to stand up and stop if someone drops on the floor? And I think the, the real issue you have is when you have a veteran leadership team in, you know, David Ralston and the, you know, the house being, or the Senate being led to some extent by Jeff Duncan, who. Who not, you know, not, not as long-lasting as um, Ralston, but still was respected and liked and didn't seem to have as much to prove as I feel like Burt Jones kind of does, being the only Trump candidate to actually win in Georgia and to being an overall newer legislator and having a new House speaker who's going to have to try to just naturally being newer leaguers, your membership is going to test you. And seeing how they respond to that testing is going to be very interesting and telling, I think, for the success of what you framed uh, was, you know, as Kemp kind of focusing on less polarizing issues because Governor Kemp can want to focus on more less polarizing issues, but if the legislature doesn't want to, then he won't be able to. And so I think that's going to be the most interesting th- thing to watch is what are what is the appetite among the furthest right members to create some dumpster fires that Kemp's going to have to deal with and then what is and then the rest of the republican leadership and then what is their appetite to tamp that stuff down if they don't want to do it
0: yeah it'll be a bit of a wild card like it you know it was notable to me that um It was notable that the State House and State Senate on, I think, the first or second day of session passed the adjournment resolution with all days 1 through 40 scheduled all the way through. Um, I know a lot of uh, capital reporters and and lawmakers who want to schedule their spring break trips were very happy about having a a definitive schedule. But it will be interesting to see, given the the new group of players and if there's anybody who really, any group of folks who really... Uh, want to make a name for themselves if they derail this in some way. Um, yeah, the abortion question is going to be an interesting one in terms of what the legislature decides to do. Uh, the House Speaker, John Byrne, said he's not interested in new restrictions at this point, and it doesn't appear that the state Supreme Court will hear the challenge to the existing abortion ban during the session, so it seems unlikely that... Uh, a ruling that would require the legislature to pass the abortion ban again drops during session. If it does, that would certainly, you know, go off like a bomb and, and, uh, really put a lot of pressure on Republicans. Um, but it it appears that that may wait until summer. Um, but I, you know, I, I don't know. It'll be interesting to see if there's other issues where there's a, a big enough group of Republicans that'll hold up something that the governor and leadership wants, um, as a way of getting something that they want in return. Um, and whether, you know, there is any segment of, you know, backbenchers in the house or the Senate that are really organized enough to, to, you know, derail something, um, that the governor wants done. All right. So that's what we'll be watching out for. It'll be interesting to see if this is a quiet session or, or if it's not. So we'll be Keeping an eye on it. I I think in session you'll hear from us maybe once every every couple weeks, every two or three weeks, depending on if there's like truly notable breaking news. Um but we'll we'll be here to share with you our thoughts on kind of the the broad trends of session and, and what it means for Governor Kemp's second term as we go forward. But Luke, it was great to see you. Great to talk to you. Thanks for joining the pod today.
1: Yeah, great to be here and look forward to following this session and seeing. Just how much economic development one man can do, <laughs> <laughs> Brian Kemp, Mister Economic Development.
0: He's the king of Georgia's economy, That's right. Brian Kemp. He loves that. Yeah, Brian, remember this. That's when, right, uh,
1: Brian. When you're president, you
0: say, you say, no, no Democrats ever say anything nice about you. Just remember, we were here this this one time. That's right All righty, you All right, y'all. We'll talk to you again soon. Bye. Go dogs. Go dogs. Thanks for tuning into PeachPod. If you liked what you heard, subscribe to PeachPod on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. We'll be back with another episode next week. Until then, take care, y'all.